some other reason. <laughs> Maybe you've been in court. But usually uh, the judge, usually they give, they call the judge something or give him a title. What is that? Your honor. Your honor. Yeah, you sound like you've had practice with that. Okay. All right. So that was really bold and confident there. Okay. Now, why would we call a judge your honor? Uh, we call a judge your honor because uh, he commands our respect, right? And he commands uh, the uh, reverence, uh, the uh, right attitude. Because what happens if we go into court and you stand before a judge and you cop an attitude? Uh, I love it on Judge Judy when they try to come at her with an attitude, right? She just shuts them down, right? We, we don't do that. So uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, thank you, Vanna. We're going to be looking at um, certain uh, aspect of marriage and family, uh, the issue of honor within the home, uh, because the Bible makes it clear. We'll come back here. Ah, this work right here. The Bible makes it clear that honor uh, is an important uh, quality in the home. And we'll come back to this slide in a moment. If you have your outline, we'll uh, pick it up where we're supposed to here in a moment. But it's an important quality to have in the home. Uh, we've been looking at different foundational principles from the Bible about marriage and family. Uh, and this is one of them, uh, that the home should be a place where every person is respected and honored. Uh, We'll come back to Exodus 20 in a moment. Now, before we move in a broader context of family, we see something. Because in Genesis 2.24, the first family is created. I'm not talking about the one in the White House. The first family of the first man, the first woman, husband and wife, uh, Adam and Eve. And Genesis 2.24 says, for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to whom? His wife. You're kind of mumbling. Cleave to whom? Thank you. That makes me feel better. All right. Remember my rule. Please be interested. If you're not, just pretend. That's for me. Okay. Uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one, one flesh. And we've talked about what that means quite a bit. One flesh. Uh, that doesn't mean just a physical relationship. We're talking about how two people come together, a man and a woman come together in marriage. Uh, and they live comprehensively together from that day forward. Sharing everything, no secrets, total transparency and honesty. Serving one another, helping one another, sacrificing for one another, loving each other. There is no room... In marriage for a person to live individually. And that is one thing that brings a lot of problems uh, and a lot of chaos to a home. When a man and a woman come together in marriage and yet they think that they can still live their own lives. That's that's not God's plan. That's not even. And the reason it doesn't work is because it wasn't designed to work that way. The two become one. Not just physically in the sexual union, but in their dreams, in their goals, in their desires. Now, that doesn't mean that I lose my individuality 
and I stop being who I am, but it means that we now move together in the same direction wherever we're going, whatever we're doing. We're not like this. You know, I could dance, but then people would leave. We're not like this. That's about as funky as I can get, just like that. Well, we come together as one, one flesh. Leave. What does that mean? Remember the principle. I think I have it on your outlines for you. The TPT principle. What does T stand for? Temporary. What does P stand for? Permanent. And the second T, temporary. The family is a temporary, permanent, temporary construction. Meaning we have children, but they only stay with us temporarily. That's in theory. It should be in practice. Our son is 26 and he and his wife just moved out, but they were gone. He was on his own for six years and then they stayed with us for a little while. But we raise our children with the understanding that one day they will, according to God's plan, find someone and they will strike out on their own to form their own family unit. The relationship we have with our children in that sense is temporary. What is the permanent relationship in God's plan for the family? The husband and the wife. We as parents should make it easy for our kids to leave. We as parents should make sure that we're investing in the marriage relationship even as we are raising children. Our children should have the understanding that for me, my wife is the most important person in the home. And for her, that I am the most important person in the home. We love our children. We love spending time with them. They're wonderful. We raise them. We do things together. They mean everything to us. But if we're going to organize the home, it would be the marriage relationship first and the parent-child relationship second. Many times, one of the spouses will forge relationship with children that is perhaps stronger than what it was intended to be because there's something lacking in the marriage relationship. Uh, but that's not God's plan. And then it makes it difficult for that child to leave, uh, to bond to someone new. One flesh we've already talked about. It's that comprehensive sharing of life together. So if you are married, the marriage relationship takes precedence over every other human relationship on earth. If you are married, that is the priority. If you are married. So the Bible teaches that the family is a place uh, where people are honored and respected. Now, this word honor is an interesting word. What does it mean in the Bible? It means that we fix a valuation upon it. To honor something means that I have placed a certain amount of value on it. Uh, I cherish it to a certain extent. It means very much to me. So the Bible says what? Honor your father and mother. Uh, it says honor the widows in the church. Uh, honor all men. Honor your elected leaders. Uh, honor is everywhere in the scripture. But especially and foremost in the home and in the marriage relationship. It means to respect. It means to place before oneself. Uh, particularly, it often carries the idea of always speaking well of at all times. 
Because in Ephesians 6, Paul tells children to do what for their parents? Obey. Now, as we grow older and we get married and we move out, we've been married 28 years. We have three grown children. 28, right? Okay. Uh, 28 years. She just gave me a blank look. I thought, okay, I'll be walking home today. Uh, We have three grown children, but... And we still have a relationship with our parents, but am I required to obey my parents' directives? I'm almost 50. Got a little lump in my throat just saying 50. My mom commands me to do something even though she lives up in Seattle. Am I beholden to obey her? No. Some of you are like, uh, no. I'm a 50-year-old man. I'll do what I want. No. Uh, As adults, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. I may not obey her, but I'm still kind of afraid of her. She is a woman. Okay. Uh, I just mean I'm afraid. That was a compliment, actually, but just like a man, it didn't come out that way, did it? Anyway, we're not beholden to obey our parents. But what are we still beholden to do? Honor. Obey for a short time. Honor for all time. So that means that I should never speak ill of my parents or anyone that the scripture tells me to honor. My wife, uh, husbands, widows, elected officials, church leaders. We see many people that we're commanded to honor. That's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, We're told that prayers and entreaties should be given for all men to honor the king. It's in the New Testament, meaning honor our elected officials, meaning we should never speak ill of or slander our elected officials because we know that God is the one by his providence that has put them in charge. Ooh, boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, but it's just so easy with some of them. So anyway, I don't want to go there yet. Let's go back here. On your outlines, you have some scriptures, I believe. Oh, okay. Should. Uh, Okay, that's not the right one anyway. Thanks. So So you don't have the outline that has uh, the marriage relationship takes precedent over every other human relationship. It should be page seven and eight. Okay. Do we have those? We need to print those off. Oh, well, it's my bad. Sorry. Well, then I guess we're done. Okay. Uh, Wrong. Okay. That means we have to do something very strange. We have to do it the old fashioned way. Uh, Okay. Hey, take your Bibles. uh, And we'll look at a couple passages because we have some baptisms we want to do. But the home should be the place. Where we experience respect and honor of every person for another. Uh, Go to Exodus 20. Does anyone remember what that passage is all about? Exodus 20, 1 through 17. The Ten Commandments. That's right. The Ten Commandments. That's where the whole idea or teaching of honor originates. Uh, Because the Bible, as we've already mentioned, tells us uh, that we are to honor all people. We're to honor our spouse. 
We're to honor our children. Uh, In fact, specifically, the scriptures tell us in Colossians and Ephesians uh, that fathers don't exasperate your children uh, or raise them with all dignity. Don't provoke your children to anger. Paul told the fathers in the Colossian churches. It's interesting uh, that uh, disrespect can promote anger is what we're told. And remember, what is disrespect? Disrespect is the lack or absence of honor. The the uh, absence of those things at the bottom there. The absence of valuing the other person. Uh, the absence of respecting. The absence of putting someone before myself. Uh, and of course, the height of disrespect would be physical abuse. And Paul told the fathers in Colossae that don't provoke your children anger, causing them to lose heart. That disrespect can promote anger in our children and it causes them to feel hopeless. Paul's teaching us throughout the scriptures that the home should not be a place of constant turmoil, strife, bitterness, fighting, arguing. The scriptures are clear that the home is the last place we should see those things. In the most intimate. Remember last week, the principle we looked at, the home is the place where the most intimate friendships are formed. So that just should not be how we behave toward one another. Now, Exodus 20 uh, is very interesting. Uh, the, The Ten Commandments are really all about honor. He says there in verse picking up uh, in verse two of Exodus 20 and notice some things about the Ten Commandments. The first and the last have to do with issues of the heart in all the commandments in between are more connected to uh, the actions that come out of the heart. And it is important to remember that nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament for us to still obey today. The one that is not. Do you know which one that is? The Sabbath day. Because remember, the Sabbath day was a special institution for the nation of Israel. For the Jewish people, their Sabbath day is which day of the week? Saturday, the last day of the week. Jesus rose from the dead on which day of the week? The first day, the scriptures tell us, on a Sunday. So for we Christians, we gather on the first day of the week. But it is interesting, the principle of rest is still in play for us. It's just we're not commanded to celebrate a Sabbath. That's a covenant sign for a specific group of people, the Jewish people. But God still wants us, I believe, to set aside a day where we rest, meaning we don't do the things we normally do. We do the things uh, we cease working because we know on the last day God ceased from his work. Was God tired? Is that why God was he plum tuckered out after he was done creating? No, he didn't need a nap or anything like that. What was he doing? He was setting us an example, wasn't he? Says on the last day, God ceased from all his work. And so that's why we have a day of rest. Verse two, it says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to the house out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So we're looking at honoring God. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath 
or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. God is jealous. Meaning, what does that mean? It means that he wants every ounce of our affection and love and obedience. Just like Jesus said that we read earlier this morning, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and another gospel adds all your strength. This is the concept. This is the principle on which that is built right here. Our God is a jealous God. And he's not going to punish children for their parents' sins. He's not going to punish grandchildren for their grandparents' sin. What he's saying here is that sometimes my actions have sinful consequences for others. As a husband and as a father, there are certain sins that are going to have a horrible negative impact on my family. They may have to reap the consequences of my sin. That's what he's saying there. When it says that he's jealous, it's saying that he jealously guards uh, our allegiance to him. He loves us so much that he's not going to allow us to compromise our affection for any other God. And there are a lot of gods out there. Uh, For these people, it would have been hand-carved images. For us, it's anything that we worship and serve and love and cherish more than God. It can be something clearly wrong, or it could be something good that God has given us, but the problem is we start loving it too much. So let's read on here in verse 7. You shall not take, so now we're talking about honoring the name of God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It means... Don't cheapen God's name. And think of all the ways that we can cheapen the name of God. Not just by cursing and using God's name as a curse word. That's just one way. But think of all the other ways that we can cheapen God's name. By the way we talk, by the way we act, by the way we live, by what we watch, by what we you know, think. There are many ways that we cheapen the name of God. Well, how is that? Because we're told in the scripture what we are made in the image of God. Every person at some level reflects something of God's character because we were created by him. So honor his name. Verse eight, honor the day of rest. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male, your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner stays With you, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here's the thing. We know the Sabbath day command is not for us as the church. But the idea of setting aside a day of rest is clearly still commanded. That is one reason, my friends, that gathering together to worship each Sunday is such an important thing. That's part of the day of rest. That's part of resting. We're not working today or working at this moment because we're gathered together to worship the Lord. Verse 12, honor your father and mother. We've already looked at that. That your days may be prolonged in the land in which the Lord your God gives you. This is the first commandment attached to a promise. He's saying when we honor our parents, only good things can come out of that. That if we honor our parents, if we honor, I'll say, our families, if we show that respect and honor in the home, that is pleasing to the Lord and there is blessing that comes with that. 
And once again, I'm repeating myself, but remember, the idea of honor carries that thought of never speaking any ill against. Particularly to someone else or to the person. Verse 13, you shall not murder. Interesting that uh, the nation of Israel made provision if there was an accidental death. If there was a death because of self-defense, there were provisions in their law to take care of that. The provision or the command if someone committed premeditated murder was capital punishment. The taking of life, once again, because we're created in the image of God. So honoring life, honoring life. And it is the responsibility of every child of God to honor and protect life. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery, honoring marriage. Here we've seen that. We've been talking about that. Verse 15, you shall not steal. So honoring the property of others is really important. Uh, And uh, especially in the home, especially among family members, uh, it's important. Paul tells us in Ephesians that there are only three ways to gain wealth, right? Work for it. Somebody gives it to you or you steal it. And which one of those things is not right? The stealing. In fact, Paul says, let he who steals stop stealing and let him give to the church. And he's saying there that it's not enough to overcome a problem like stealing to just stop stealing. You have to start putting something in its place. For instance, if you struggle with lying, which we'll see Uh, In the next verse, in verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's about honoring the truth. If I struggle with lying, I haven't really overcome lying until I'm a person who's known for what? Speaking the truth. We have to replace whatever it is we're putting off with what we're putting on. So honoring the truth. Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant. Or as ox or as donkeys or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So once again, it's talking about honoring, I guess we could say honoring contentment. Because this verse is about a heart issue of greed, correct? Did you ever stop to think, this is talking about coveting. And coveting is a form of greed. And it is interesting in the Bible that the opposite of coveting or the opposite of greed Is contentment. That the greedy person or the covetous person is not content with what God has given him. Even a person who has a lot can still covet and be greedy. Or even a person who has nothing. Even the most poverty stricken person can be a greedy person. If their heart is always wanting, always desiring. So the opposite, what he's saying here, the Ten Commandments that we carry it over even into the New Testament is, and it's interesting that this sin of coveting in Romans chapter 7 is the very sin that God used to bring the Apostle Paul to salvation. Because he's talking about his salvation experience. He says, I wouldn't have known what coveting was unless the Lord had told me, do not covet. So Paul was thinking about his own heart. Paul thought of himself before his salvation of having a greedy heart, of always wanting, never being satisfied, never being content. 
And I love what the psalmist says, and I don't remember the reference, so I'm sorry. But the psalmist says, in thy presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. The secret to contentment is being in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Of feasting on him, spending time with him, worshiping him, finding my satisfaction and my contentment and my joy in him alone. Not in possessions, not in relationships. Uh, Not in work, but in the Lord Jesus himself. So we see that the home is the place, is a place where there should be honor and respect for every person. Go with me to James 4. We'll finish with this uh, and then we'll move on to our baptisms. Let's go to James chapter 4. We have to hurry because I know Gion wants to speak. Uh, I've already... He's already told me that he he always has something to say. And I like to listen. Pretty smart. All right, James chapter 4. We're not going to read this whole context, but it's interesting that here we see the words, Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you, the Lord says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Notice that the context is in relationships. He starts in verse 1. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it the source of all your fighting, those pleasures that are waging war within you? There's something that you're lusting after and you can't have it, and so you commit murder. And I think he's talking about how the Lord had said, anger is the catalyst for murder, that you can be murdering someone in your heart. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, and you do not have because you do not ask. It's interesting that the context here is human relationships, fighting and arguing, quarreling within the church and within the home. And then he tells us later uh, in this passage that the cure or the solution for these types of problems is repentance. What does it mean to repent? This is not a word that we hear a lot of in our churches today. But repentance is something that we as Christians should be doing every day. Repentance means to turn and go the other way. And there's a difference between confession and repentance. Confession means I verbally agree with what God says. Repentance means I will now adjust my behavior and turn away from what I was doing and move toward what God has told me to do. David says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and see if there be any Wicked way in me. That's confession. And then he says, lead me in the way everlasting. That's repentance. The first step in overcoming any family problem, I really believe, is repentance. Because as sinners, we're so prone in conflict to minimize our own part and to maximize the other person's part. And we forget that being in a family, being in a marriage is about serving. It's about sacrificing. It's about helping. It's about honoring and respecting. It's pretty interesting today. The elders we met on Tuesday night with our baptismal candidates. Uh, And it's interesting that this time around we have five baptisms and all five are children and young people. I think that's pretty cool. I think that says something about our church. Uh. So we have a vibrant ministry to children uh, and to teenagers. 
It also tells me that we have some pretty good homes where parents are really doing a good job of raising their children uh, in uh, the instruction of the Lord, as Paul tells us to do. So what we like to do, I'm going to ask Tyler and Wesley and Gian to come on up here just for a couple minutes. This is the part that the candidates hate the most. Well, these kids are too young. They don't know what's going on. Uh, The teenagers probably aren't going to like it, but I already promised Rachel I'm going to be super, super easy on Rachel. She's a young lady. I don't want her to be terrified. Matthew, you're in big trouble when you get up here. Uh, So, okay, let's get. uh, We like to do this just so you can get to know uh, these guys a little bit. Who wants to sing? Anybody? No? Okay. Just checking. Okay. Can you hold this? I think, where's Tim at? Uh, I think the order that we're going to do today will be uh, Matthew first, followed by Wesley and Tyler, and then we'll do uh, Gian and Rachel. Rachel will be last uh, today. Oh, you guys are going up there. I told you you were going to sing. So. Okay, just a couple questions. First of all, what's your name and how old are you? Speak into the microphone. My name is Gian and I'm six years old. Okay, hold that up there. So, And do you have a girlfriend? No. Do you drive yet? Do you have a driver's license? No. Okay, all right. I'm just getting to know you a little bit, just trying to find out. All right, so you would like to be baptized today, Gian, right? Yes. And why would you like to be baptized Hold this up. To, hold it up to you now. Um, because I just wanna. Some people hold this up. Hold that up. There you go. Don't know about God, so I just wanna show them. Okay. Very good. Now let Wesley give that to Wesley. What's your name, Wesley? Wesley. Okay. <laughs> All right. And how old are you? I always forget. Eight. Eight. Are you in fourth grade? Third. Third. Third grade. So you're eight. So when we moved here, he had just been born, I think. Wow, look what you've done to me. Whoa. Okay, all right. So let me ask you a question, Wesley. Think real carefully. You're really smart, I know. Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? Mm-mm. No. How do you get to heaven, then, if you don't have to be baptized? You have to t- tell Jesus that you're a sinner and repent of your sins um, and ask him to come to help you and live in your heart. That's right. See, some people think that you have to be baptized in water in order to have eternal life. But that is not true. That's not true. Now, however, what's the very first command that the Lord gave us as believers? To be baptized. So it is a mark of obedience, right? It's a mark to tell the world, hey, I want to follow Jesus and I want you to know that. So that's really good, Wesley. You probably get straight A's, don't you? Yeah, I thought so. Okay. Give that to your brother. And what's your name, Mr.? Tyler. Tyler. What's your last name? Lansing. Has the Tooth Fairy been to your house recently? Uh, yes. Okay. You look like you hit the mother load. Okay. <laughs> On that. So, uh, how old are you? Seven. And what grade are you in? Second. Second grade. And where do you go to school? I heard you go to a fantastic school. Don't you go to school right here? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, Tyler, are you a Christian? Yes. How do you know that you're a Christian? 
Because I asked Jesus into my heart. That's right. And so you really want to do this today, huh? Yes. Okay. And why do you want to be baptized today? Do you know? To show everybody that I'm a Christian. Okay. That's great, you guys. You guys remember where my office is? So you guys can go ahead and stay out of my candy drawer. I've counted every piece. Okay. Here, I'll do. You go on, go on, and then I think those guys are going to help. You. We can have Matthew, Matthew and Rachel, if you want to come up for a couple seconds. Rachel, I'm going to be super, super nice and easy on you because I want you to come back. Some people just don't like being in front of other people. I understand that. You're not one of those people. You're like a big, giant ham, okay? Okay. A ham. Someone who, never mind, I'll tell you later. Okay. You want to hold that? Just tell us your name and where you go to school, what grade you're in. My name is Rachel, and I'm 14, and I'm in ninth grade. Ninth grade. And where do you go to school? Norwalk. Norwalk. Okay. And now, Rachel, you're born again, right? Mm-hmm. You know the Lord, right? Yeah. And uh, can you just tell us real quick why you want to be baptized today? Because I said Jesus in my heart. Mm-hmm. And you would like everyone to know that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, who's your dad? Right there, Art, the world's biggest Dodger fan. All right. (laughs) Has he been an encouragement to you? Yeah. He is. And you've seen him uh, model Christ, haven't you? Yeah. Good. Okay. Special day for you, huh? Mm -hmm. Are you ready to quit talking? (laughs) Yeah, I thought so. You can go through that door over there and get your stuff. Okay. This might be a while. Now, my biggest fear with Matthew baptizing him today is I don't I could just see him slipping and falling down that tank. Uh, You don't have your boot on today. Okay. All right. Now, how old are you? Always forget. I'm 16. Are you a junior? Yes. 11th grade at Norwalk High School. Okay. Now, your testimony about how you came to know the Lord is pretty interesting and pretty exciting, because when do you think that you had a salvation experience? Like, when do you think that happened? Uh, when I went to Momentum. Yeah, just this last summer. Yes. 2016. So you don't think that you were saved before that, huh? No. That's fine. And so tell us what happened. Uh, because you're 16, so 15 years flying under the radar. Uh, but what happened? Momentum is our national youth conference we have every year. A couple thousand teenagers gather for a week of uh, conference and teaching and fellowship and all that. So... Um, but what exactly happened? Just share uh, what happened at the session, and you kind of shared it with us at the elders' meeting. Uh, well, Clayton King was talking, and uh, his his t- uh, his uh, teaching just really spoke to me about uh, having God in your heart, mm-hmm. and I felt like I wasn't uh, living the way I was supposed to be living. So you felt like you came under conviction. Yes. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Felt like you uh, came under conviction uh, that he needed eternal life. Uh, so he made a decision. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting is 15 years. Uh, great kid, at least in public. I don't know how he's at home. Uh, I assume you're just as great at home, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, <laughs> we could ask your brother. Just ask my mom. Okay. I know your mom thinks you walk on water. I'm not going to ask her. Like that. But... You know, we can't uh, go by just what we see outwardly. Uh, You know, people can fly under the radar with their spiritual needs. 
Uh, and another great lesson is don't ever let the fact that someone tells you they're a Christian keep you from sharing the gospel with them. Because only the Lord knows the heart. So you're involved with the youth group. Do you enjoy that? Yes. What do you enjoy about hanging out? It seems like you're pretty into it. What do you enjoy about being in the youth group? It's just fun. Okay. Hanging with my friends. Hanging with your friends. Who are your friends? Oh, there he is. No, I'm just kidding. Well, those guys back there. All right. One other thing. Last question. Do you feel like you've been growing as a Christian? Yes. As a church? And, and how so? Or like, how do you think you've been growing? Or um, um, I feel like I participate more hmm. than I did when I was younger. Yeah, very good. I think you're going over here, too. And you stay out of my candy drawer. You're the worst. I know. Oh, you can have those. I don't like those. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's interesting to me that he says that he knows that he's been growing spiritually, uh, that he's more interested in spiritual things. So we're excited today with these five. Uh, Give us just a couple minutes to get all set up here. Uh, And Joey's going to lead us in some singing uh, while we get ready. And then please join us out in the courtyard for some cookies and drinks afterwards and uh, spend some time with those that have been baptized. Congratulate those that have baptized, and we're so thankful and happy to have the family and friends here today visiting with us. Uh, and we want you to know, uh, if you don't have a church home, if you don't have a place to worship, we would love for you to join us uh, every weekend, every Sunday, to worship the Lord together. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor uh, that you deserve and of which you are worthy. We thank you so much for your regenerating work in the lives of these young people. Uh, Father, and we know that it's true and we know that it's real because we've seen the fruit of it. Uh, We thank you, Father, uh, that when we recognize our sinfulness before your holiness and that we cry out to Jesus Christ and by faith we believe that only his death and only his resurrection can give us eternal life and we believe that with our hearts And we confess that with our mouths, we will be saved. So I pray, Father, that that would be uh, our cry and our desire. We give you so much praise for all the good that's happened here today, these exciting events. And we look forward, Father, uh, to next week being together uh, by your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks, for all being here today.